We're in 1 John chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. If you would, stand for reading of God's Word. We honor God by standing when we read His Word. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone who loves Him who begot also loves Him who is begotten of Him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep His commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep His commandments and His commandments are not burdensome. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is he who overcomes the world but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? This is the word of God. Please be seated. Right belief yields right conduct. What you believe will affect the way that you live. You realize that. What you believe will affect the way that you live. Now we know the theme of 1 John is this, that you may know that you have eternal life. It's not a guess that you may know. The Spirit of God bears witness with our, with our spirits that we are children of God. Children of God. And then he gives us doctrinal tests. And we've gone over this week after week after week. I'm sorry if this is redundant to you, but I think it's important that we imprint this on our minds. John gives us three tests that we can know that we have eternal life. Number one is a doctrinal test. Who is Jesus? Jesus is not a, just a prophet. Jesus is not just a great teacher. Jesus is God incarnate, God in flesh. He came to die for the sins of the world. He is our Lord and He is our Savior, and it's important that we know that. Then there's the lifestyle test. Are we obeying what Jesus taught? Are we obeying His commands? And then there's the social test. Do we really have love for the brethren? Hey, it's easy to love those that are lovable, but not all of us are lovable. And guess what? Even if you're lovable, you're not lovable all the time. If you have a question about that, go ask your spouse. Go ask your kids. Go ask anybody who really knows you. Okay? Now, last time we met, we talked about perfect love. Now, is that really possible to have perfect, perfect love? And we went through this. That word perfect, it means complete. Complete to finish, to reach one's prescribed goal. And what is our prescribed goal? Well, our prescribed goal is to accept Jesus Christ as our Savior and go to heaven. Okay? But we have a short-term goal while we're here, and that is to be conformed to the likeness of Christ, to be changed, to be transformed, to be different, different than the world that is around us. Now, the goal is to be perfect. Now, does that mean we're going to be perfect little humans all the time? And the answer is no, we will not be perfect little humans all the time. So our goal is perfection. But remember, we are going in the right direction, and that is being conformed to the likeness of Christ. So. The question that you want to ask yourself is this, am I actively engaged with the Holy Spirit's power in a changed life, in transformation, in the process of being conformed to the likeness of Christ? And how do I know this is really happening? Well, you have the test. Do you obey Jesus? Do you love the brethren? Do you have a right view of who Jesus is? Is there a real change in how you relate to the world that's around you? So you're being inundated with stuff on a continual basis that wants to take you away from the true God. Are you being solidly planted in your faith that you aren't so easily drawn away to the, to the ways of the world? Am I dominated by fear? Am I dominated by worry and anxiety about my future? There's all kinds of strange things that are happening around us. What's going to happen? Am I dominated by that? Am I easily disturbed or easily discouraged? Am I tizzified by the bumps in the road that occur in life? That's a test. That's a test for us. Am I quickly reverting back to the same old me? 
good old familiar me, going back to the flesh and dealing with life in the old, old pattern of life. If this is your pattern, if you, if you, if you have changed and in, in, involved in the, in, in, in the process of being conformed to the likeness of Christ, you have agreed with the Holy Spirit in the sanctification process, being set apart unto God. Remember, it's a process of change. Our marching orders, are we going in the right direction? Are we moving towards God, or are we moving towards the world? Remember, Christianity is not static. It is never going to stay the same. Either we're growing, or we're what? Shrinking. Hey, as you get older, what happens to you? Put the measuring tape up and see what happened to your body as you get shorter. But in Christianity, we're growing. Our spirits grow, even though our Outwardly, we might be wasting away, and we're being renewed day by day. So, perfect love casts out fear. Perfect love is moving in the right direction towards God. But we also learn that perfect God loves the least of these, loves the toughest ones to love. And we talked about Joni Yoder last time we met. And she said this, remember, you love Jesus only as much as you love the least of these, the tough ones, the tough ones. Remember what agape love is. It's an act of the will. It's not a feeling. It's sacrificial love. It always provides, always protects, always, always perseveres. Love never fails. And agape love, well, remember this, give the person what they need, not what they necessarily want. So, sacrificial. Sacrificial gives them what they need, and it's an act of the will. It's not a feeling. See, we don't have to always feel like we love this person, but we have to act in that direction because that's what God expects us to do. And we can only do that through his power. You can't fake this. The only way that we can do this is by abiding in Christ, and we've gone over that and over that and over that by abiding in him. So perfect love is possible only when we are abiding in Christ, only when we remain in him. Remember what abiding is, to make your home in, to dwell in. Meno was the Greek word for it. Our flesh and our depravity is so strong that if we are not abiding, we will always be drifting away, going towards the world and towards our flesh. Now this week, we're going to be talking about right belief yields right conduct. Right belief yields right conduct. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time that we can open the Word of God, which is ultimate truth. In a world that is running from truth, you have given us the truth of your Word that we can stand on and build our lives on. The Holy Spirit, please speak to us today the things that you want to teach us. And as always, what you teach us, help us to apply. In Jesus' name, amen. So, right belief yields right conduct. Now, when you think about conduct in Christianity, some people might say, what does conduct have to do with it? Well, it has to do with everything. Conduct is this. The definition is this. It's your manner of life. It's your behavior. It's the way that you are acting in the culture. Now, is this really important? Some people think that if I'm a believer, isn't that, isn't that enough? Isn't that enough? Well, Philippians 1.27 says this, our conduct is important. This is in the NIV. Whatever happens, conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. So our conduct is important. 2 Peter 3.11, now this is a context of the day of the Lord. And he has this word for us. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, he's talking about heaven and earth being dissolved, what manner of person ought you to be in holy conduct? In holy conduct. 
as we see the day approaching, it's going to be more and more important that we are walking this thing in holy conduct. Why? Because we're going to have tremendous opposition. The opposition is going to be coming at us in all directions. You are the minority. You are the remnant. You are the few. You are the remnant of the remnant. You who come to church on a Sunday morning and hear the word of God, you are the few. So conduct is important. We are ambassadors of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We represent him while we're here. Our conduct and how we conduct ourselves is important. So conduct might not be a big deal to modern Christians, but it is a very important big deal to God. That is, that is very significant. Our conduct is expected to change with the new birth. Look, when you get a little baby, are you expecting them to stay a baby forever? No, Mr. Gorm, you're not. You're expected to grow. You want that kid to grow up, and guess what you want that kid to do? One day you want him to leave the house. <laughs> That's what you want him to do, but you want him to be prepared to leave the house. Be prepared to grow up, to grow up. So our conduct is expected to change with the new birth. And like our vital signs, blood pressure, pulse, and respiration, give us an indication of our physical health, our spiritual health vital signs. One of those, are we being conformed to the likeness of Christ? But if we're being conformed to the likeness of Christ, what's, how's that going to affect our life? It's going to affect our conduct, how we are conducting ourselves. So a spiritual vital sign is our conduct. So if we are spiritually healthy, will be, be reflected in the way we are acting in the environment that we are placed in. This is an important gauge of our spiritual health. Now, how can we tell that we believe in God? If our beliefs and concepts of him are accurate, check your vital signs. Check your conduct. Check the way that you're acting in the world that is around you. Are you changing? Are you acting differently in different situations than you did in the past? That's, that's a gauge that you can go by. Right belief yields right conduct. Verse 1, it all starts with being born of God. If you want to be right in your conduct here, in the eyes of a holy God, it starts with being born of God. Right belief, right conduct starts with being born of God. Verse 1, whoever, now who is whoever? Whoever <laughs> believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone who loves him who begot him, that would be God, got you, made you born again, who loves him who was begotten of him, that is the brethren, those are the ones that are saved. So, born of God, born of God. How does this really occur? Now, this is a big debate in Christendom. Some people think it's a lot of works. Some people think that you don't have to do anything. Some people think you have to repent and confess and believe and that sort of thing. Well, I'm going to try to tell you exactly how this, well, at least from what I can see, occurs. Now, what happens here, born of God is this, is this. It simply is by believing in Jesus Christ and freely receiving the gift of salvation. That is what 248 times believed is used in Scripture. Believe, believe in God, believe in Jesus, believe in Jesus, believe in Jesus. Why must one believe in Jesus as the Christ, the Messiah, to be saved? Well, he's the only one that can save us from our sins. He is the perfect sacrifice. He is the only, couldn't be an angel. We've went through this millions of times. Couldn't have been a great human being. It had to be the Son of God, the perfect Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He's the only one that can do it. Now, 
because he's the only one that can do it, in history, there have been many, many people that have come through as false Christ. So beware of false Christ. Many have claimed this. Be ready for the false Christ. And guess what? There is a huge false Christ that is on the horizon. He is called the Antichrist. That's right. Remember the word anti is a, it can mean against or instead of. See, he's going to try to be, he'll be both, but he's going to try to slip in there and look like the Christ. Look like the Christ. And the majority are going to be deceived. If you would, we've been to this verse many, many times. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 talks about the Antichrist. And I think it's so important that we have some idea what's going on in the world around us. When you talk about open borders, when you talk about people believing in evolution, when you're talking about the whole educational governmental system taking us away from God, globalism is, uh, is, is being promoted from left and right. It is a setup for the one world ruler. And you want to know what this guy is going to be like. Well, you get a little peek of him in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 9. The coming of the lawless one, this is the Antichrist, is according to the working of Satan, the energia of Satan, with all power, signs, and lying wonders. Now, what do people want to see today? Give me a miracle. Show me a miracle. Oh, we saw Jesus in the clouds. We saw him in the burrito, in the potato chip, in the, in the Dorito. We saw him there. Yeah, I want to see signs and wonders. Well, this one's going to come on and do some massive signs and wonders. Watch what happens. And with all unrighteous deception. Deception, that's what his goal is. Among those, those, those who take deception, among those who perish. Why did they perish? Because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this reason, God will send them a strong delusion that they should believe the lie. These people have passed their point of salvation. What an awful place to be that you've rejected and rejected and rejected. And God says, I give you over to this that they may be condemned who did not believe the truth. The truth comes, the truth comes, the truth comes, and then people reject it, reject it, reject it, and there's a time when God says, okay, you can have your way, and it's a grievous thing. It's an awful thing. But the nice thing to know about this is God is long-suffering, long-suffering, not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance, all can be saved. When you've reached this point, you have exhausted the patience of God. That is greater than any patience any human can even imagine having. They, they, they may condemn who not believe the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Now, what is the lie? What is the lie? I believe the lie is that Antichrist is going to claim to be the Christ or God. That is going to be the lie. That is going to be the lie. So, what are we to do with all of this deception that is coming at us 24-7 today that we're living in? Well, we are living in an age of unprecedented deception, indoctrination to a worldview that is anti-God, is permeating the United States of America and Europe and many other places in the world. It's in our, it's in our news, our newscasters, our, our schools, our government, in our workplace. And this is a worldview that is contrary to God. Now, in the last days, we know that this will happen. Now, I'm going to talk to you about the Olivet Discourse. The Olivet Discourse is what Jesus was talking about to his disciples when they wondered when all these things will happen. 
and it's found in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And I'm just going to give you the short version of this because this isn't a talk on the Olivet Discourse. But we know in the Olivet Discourse that deception will mark the days. Jesus said you're going to be deception, deception, deceptions. Then he says wars and rumors of wars. But these have always happened. You know why it's different today? Because you know about every war and rumor of wars on this planet that you never heretofore would not have known about because of communication and technology. Famines, disease, and earthquakes happen all the time on this earth. Now you know about it in time. Persecution, they're going to try to kill you. Now remember, we're not experiencing that type of persecution in this country yet. But throughout the world, giving your life for Christ is very common, very common. Then there will be many false prophets who rise up to deceive many. Our love for, for people will grow cold. And again, it's always been this way. What is the difference? The difference today is that it's ramping up, ramping up, ramping up. And it's even the people of God are being deceived. If you would, turn with me to Jeremiah chapter 2. Now remember who Jeremiah is. He is an Old Testament prophet, one of the major ones. And he was prophesying, he's pleading with the nation of Israel, turn back to God, turn back to God. Don't go into your idols, don't go into captivity. Avoid this, avoid this, avoid this. And he says something very profound here in Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 11. And when you think about what I'm reading here, think about the United States of America and how it has changed in the last 20 years. Or if you're old enough, 50 years. Think about how much it has changed. Starts out here, has a nation changed its gods, which are not gods? Yes, they have. There's been all kinds of idols that have been raised up in the history of mankind. and They're being raised up in this country today. And then he says these words, but my people have changed their glory. My people are culpable. For what does, they've changed the glory for what does not profit. They've taken in on the idols. This is the nation of Israel who had absolute contact with the living God, but chose the idols of the culture they were immersed in over God. That is what is happening today in America. Vastly happening. Be astonished, O heavens, at this. And be horribly afraid. Be very desolate, says the Lord, for my people have committed two evils. My people. He's not talking about the regular culture. He's talking about his people. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters. Now remember, Jesus said to the woman at the well, out of you will flow rivers of living water in John 7, 38. Rivers of living water. But you have chosen this. Instead of the living water, the clean, pure water, of Christ, you've chosen this. You've hewn for themselves cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. Stinky, stagnant water you have chosen over the living waters of God. And you know what has been a result of that? Think about this. We've been through this verse many times. It's Isaiah chapter 5. This is what happens. This is what happens calling evil good and good evil. You're very familiar with this. We've repeated this many times. Woe to those who, and they're going to get it twice today. So, woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Folks, this is beware United States of America. This is here for a reason. This is here for a reason. This is here to warn us. This is what ha happened in the past. It can happen again in the future. A culture that is deceived says good is evil and evil is good. 
But watch this. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and prudent in their own sight. Folks, this is the progressive agenda. This is the humanistic agenda. Self-absorbed. Humanity is everything. And he says, woe to mighty men at drinking wine. Woe to men valiant for mixing intoxicating drink. The culture then and the culture now have been numbed by substances. What has been most recently legalized? In our marijuana. Marijuana. Now, everybody, that's not such a big deal. You ever see somebody on? Dude, I mean, you talk about non-progressive? Stunting your development and your maturity? Yeah, the culture is numb by substances. This is what is happening in our country today. Look, there's been a vast change in America in a short period of time. A short period of time. Now, hear this. Those born again of God, those born of God must know what they believe and why they believe it. Or you're going to be overwhelmed by this deception that is coming our way. Now, I want to give you three things, three things, Satan's deceptions in three primary areas. This might be worthwhile writing down. First of all, I think you'll agree with me, his, one, his greatest deception is there is no God. And if there is no God, there is no gospel. You look at the number of people that are being taken away by Internet sites that are talking about they were formerly Christians and now they're atheists. This is happening all over. It's happening all over. It's nothing new under the sun. Remember when, the, when, the, when, when Satan came in the garden, has God thus said, challenging the word of God, challenging the veracity of God? That's number one. There is no God. And then the second thing is this. Everything is God. Every, God is in everything. God is in every religion. God is, in all, God is all over the place. And if there, everything is God, then there is no gospel. There is no gospel. This is very popular. This is Eastern mysticism, folks. This is Eastern religion. And it is permeating our country. Perme Be careful. Be careful with Christian yoga. I would encourage you to be careful. I know that people do engage in that because you get the exercise and get the stretching and all that stuff. Hey, get your exercise and stretching some other way because all these poses have something to do with some sort of false God. And the final thing is this. People believe in the Bible. There's folks that believe in the Bible and believe in Jesus and maybe believe somewhat in the gospel message, but maybe not fully. But that's not enough. They want a new revelation. They want a new word. They want something strange and mystical. They're going to get the strange and mystical. When who comes? The Antichrist comes. Be careful. Be careful. Those born of God must know what they believe and why. And finally, those truly born of God will not be moved by the deception in the culture. They will not be moved. They will not blend. They will not compromise with the culture's deception. You know what you're going to do? If you're really born of God and you're attuned to the Word of God, you're going to take a stand. And I mean you're going to dig your gospel shoes in, get in a defensive posture and take a stand. Watch. Stand fast in the faith. Be brave. Be strong. Let everything that you do be done in love. Take a stand, Christian. Take a stand. That's what we're to do. now. I want to go through this, this sentence that we just read, this verse 1, a little more closely. 
How is one really born of God? Let's examine three terms. Three terms. Term number one is whoever. Now, I love that. Whoever can be born of God. The word is pas, P-A-S. It means every and all. The offer of salvation is to every and all humanity. Secondly, the term is believe. Now, this is not mental assent, because even the demons believe and shudder. People say, I believe in Jesus. Believe in the demons. Believe me, the demons believe in Jesus way more than, than you can ever imagine. Way more. It means this, commit to, put your trust in, and this happens to be written in the present tense, and it means ongoing belief. Ongoing belief. The third word you want is born of God. Born is in the perfect tense. Now, what's the big deal about the perfect tense and the present tense? Well, it's this. The perfect tense means this. It's a completed action with abiding results. There was a time in your life when you believed, said yes to Jesus, and you were born again at that second. At that second. Now watch this. This is important. Continuing to believe is evidence that you were indeed born again at that second. So let me go on here. Ongoing believing is evidence of our past experience of saying yes to Jesus, free offer of salvation. Free offer of salvation. A must to understand. Faith, you're believing in Christ alone, saves. It is not works-based. But a faith that saves is evidenced by ongoing belief. It's in the present tense. It is ongoing. So this is important. Let's put this together. You continuing to believe in Jesus does not save you. You realize that. Jesus saved you. You didn't save yourself. That would be works. But continuing to believe demonstrates that one has been genuinely born of God, genuinely saved. Those born of God, those who believe, who put their trust in Jesus, will not be moved by the tsunami of deception that is coming at us. We have just seen the tip of the iceberg. This thing is going to ramp up more and more and more, even more as we see the day approaching. Realize that. Now, an overflow of us being grounded in Christ an overflow of being born of God, of abiding in Christ, will be love for the brethren, even the difficult ones. We're going to love each other. That is a mark that Christ wants from us. And you know what, you know what is important? In order to love one another, what do you have to do? You have to be together to love one another, not isolated. You have to, to encourage one another. You have to be together. It can't be done when you're involved in the internet church, and that's where you go to church, all by yourself. I'm not saying that you can't learn, or that's not a, that's not a viable place to have uh, contact with God and that sort of thing. That's not the church, though. See, the church is togetherness. It's community. It can't be done in living room TV church. Now, it can be done in home churches. Those are all over the world. Those are all over the world. The church is koinonia. The church has coined it has fellowship. Fellowship is important, and it's going to be all, all the more important as we see the day approaching. We need to encourage each other more as we see the day approaching. It's going to get harder and harder for the remnant to not be deceived. 
We need to encourage one another. When I'm having a down day, I need you. And when you're having a down day, you need me. We need each other in this whole thing as we see the day approaching. Now, when you, when you talk about being together, there's a phenomenon in the American church where there's the mega church, where there's literally thousands of people that go who have no real communication, and they like it that way. They like it that way. I can come and go. Nobody knows I'm here. I'm not really involved. I'm not really encouraging anybody. I'm getting my spiritual fix, and then I'm walking out the door. And then what happens is you start to do that once every two weeks, maybe once a month. Then you might catch a Charles Stanley on TV, or you might Michael Youssef, or somebody that you like on TV. And I get you there every six weeks, but you're getting back because you feel like you should be there and that sort of thing. That's happening all over this country. The average size church today in America is 75 to 100 people that are committed people. That's the average size church in America today. And I want you to notice this. In America, we will do everything to be comfortable. I want my coffee and my donut. I want my recliner, and I can watch what I want, who I want on TV. Oh, their worship is so great. Oh, I think I'll stay on this channel for a little bit and get what I want. Because I don't feel like going to church today. It's a little too cold out. It's a little too far to go. It's sunny today. I want to go, go- I want to go golfing. In the rest of the world, when you're a persecu- the persecuted church, they will do anything to be with the brethren. Anything to be with the brethren. This little group is meeting in a, in a field. In a field. And who knows that if they get caught meeting in that field, they would lose their lives. But in Cupcake America, we're in our living room, so we can't. We, it's too far to go. It's too, it's too hard to go. Folks, this is, we have to change our mentality. Change our mentality. Watch the next year. The Chinese church is such a great example of this. These people will go all over. They're being more and more persecuted today. The church in India is being persecuted, the church in China, the church in Russia, the church in Nigeria, all over the world persecution is ramping up against real Christians. State churches are flourishing, but real Christians are are suffering. And finally, they have the Indian church, and I love this little sign, love as Christian, die as Christian, proud to be a Christian. That's in the face of Hinduism, who is now actively actively persecuting the church in India. Folks, we need to encourage one another. Encourage one another. When the rubber meets the road, the true church will do anything that it can to meet together, to experience the koinonia together. That's the important thing. If we really love the brethren, we will meet with the brethren. Hebrews 10.25 Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. Notice habit. This is the early church. This is the early church. They're in the habit of doing it already. But encourage one another. You've got to be together to encourage one another. Even more as you see the day approaching. As the world is falling apart, we together do not fall apart. As the world is being deceived, we together are not being deceived. Ecclesiastes 4.12 A cord of three strands is not easily broken. Folks, that's us together and our God. That's what it is. Right belief starts with being born of God. Verse 2 and 3, right belief obeys God's commandments. By this we know that we love the children of God 
when we love God and keep his commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. Are not. No. Let me ask you this question. Are we in the New Testament, as New Testament believers, mandated to keep the Ten Commandments? The answer would be no. That's not a mandate. However, however, it is something that we do out of love for our God. Let me qualify that. That's very important. There's a word called antinomianism. It means anti is against, nomianism, law, against the law. There's a belief in Christianity that the law has been done away with, that once we're saved, I have no responsibility. I've just graced, 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 and there's something called hyper-grace that has crept into the church where I can live any way that I want because I've been saved. That is a false view. No, once we're saved, we're to be changed and conformed into the likeness of Christ. We believe in Jesus. We keep and obey his commands because we love him. He did so much for us. We love him. We love him. Remember, all of God's commands provide for and protect. What is the purpose of the law? The purpose of the law is this. It drives us to Christ, tells us that we need a Savior. See, the law is perfect. We are not. It tells us that we are not perfect. Galatians 3.24 the law was our tutor, our guardian, to bring us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. It's in faith alone, in Christ alone. Romans 3.20, no one is declared righteous in his sight by observing the law. No human can do that. But rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin and know that we need a Savior. No one is saved by the law. We are simply too depraved to, to be saved that way. But the law is, and remember this, the law is viewed as a totality. When you're looking at the Ten Commandments, you say, hey, I did great with nine of them. It's a totality. Remember in James chapter 2, verse 10, for whoever keeps the whole law, yet stumbles in one point, is guilty of all. None of us can keep this whole thing perfectly. Salvation is by grace, through faith, in Christ alone. Sola gracia, sola fide, sola Christus alone. So, obeying God's commands does the following. It points us in the right direction. It points us towards Jesus. It demonstrates that we truly, truly love God. Remember, love is an action. We learned that in 1 John chapter 3.18. Remember, he says, little children, do not love by word or tongue, but by deed and in truth. It's action. It's action. And it also demonstrates that we are true believers. 1 John 2, 3. By this we know, we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. What are the commandments? They are a test. They show us that we they demonstrate that we are in the family of God. And the law of Christ is what prevails. We love God and love our neighbor. And we've gone through this verse many times, and Don went through it last week. It's Matthew 22, 37. Through 39, love the Lord your God. This is what Jesus said we are to do in this epoch of time. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all of your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. The second is likened unto it. Love your neighbor as yourself. See, you love God first, and overflow of that is to love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. That's the Ten Commandments right there. Love God, the first four. Love, love for your fellow man, the last, last six. 
Obeying God's commands is an overflow of a right relationship and abiding with Jesus. Verse 4 and 5. Right belief, right action overcomes the world. Now, this we want to be overcomers. Remember that word is nikeo. It's victors. We'll get there in a second, okay? So, verse 4 and 5. For whatever is born of God. Now, that whatever is also the word pas. Every and all that is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is he who overcomes the world but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Let's develop this. First of all, we talk about the world, the world, the world, the world. What is the world? What in the world is the world? Well, it's the evil organized system under Satan's dominion that is opposed to God and his purposes. Remember, there's a God of this age, and he does everything possible to oppose God and his purposes. There's a constant tug on us to go to the world. There's an allure that the world has, a pull that it has. In order for us to resist it, we must be actively engaged in abiding in Christ. Evidence that one is truly of God is they overcome the world's pull. You're in the sanctification process. Second word is the word overcomes, and again, it's nikeo, and it means victory. And I want you to, please, I'm not saying this to try to act like I'm some Greek scholar because I am not. I know a couple words, that's it. But this is, again, written in the present tense, means it's ongoing. This is an ongoing victories. As we abide in Christ, we can have ongoing victories over the pull of the world. John told us how we are to relate to the world in 1 John chapter 2, verse 15. What did he say? Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, the pride of life, these are all from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but he who does the will of God lives forever. The world wants to take you away. You must not love it, must not have a love relationship with it. This is how we continually overcome the world, by abiding in Christ. And I would suggest to you, the normal Christian life is an overcoming life, because the normal Christian life is a life that abides in Jesus, stays in Jesus. It's an overcoming life. And then again, I just want to indelibly imprint in our minds this concept, overcoming the world. For everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Our faith. We're going to talk a little bit more about that in just a second. So, we see the words victory and overcome. These are terms of warfare. These are terms of battle. What has the world system produced? What has it produced? Well, I have a litany of things written down here. Suffering, disease, accidents, corruption, arguments, backbiting, pride, arrogance, hunger, homelessness. It has produced one big mess for humanity. But please don't miss this. In this warfare, in this mess of life that we are immersed in, the victory that has overcome the world is our faith. And I want to suggest to you that it is not faith in faith, but faith that has an object, and that is Jesus. That is Jesus. Faith that overcomes all the stuff in this life is from believing in Jesus Christ. 
Faith that God imparts to us in the new birth results in a life of consistent victories, or can, if we are abiding. It can if we are in a sanctification process. Now, in my daily struggles, how do I really have victory? How am I really going to be an overcomer? It's easy to talk about. It's easy to talk about. It's a whole different thing. Know this. We must know our flesh, our fallen nature, is our enemy, is our nemesis, our enemy. Our flesh, and remember, that's the part of you that is not redeemed. That's the part of you that still wants the world. That's the part of you that wants to go its own way. That's the part of you that kind of rises up from time to time, and you don't like them or her, want to stuff them back down in the -the jack-in-the-box, remember? Our flesh always wants to go back where it is comfortable, and that is the world. And know this, our flesh will fight against us until we are no longer here. We will not have complete victory over our flesh until we are glorified, and that is with Jesus. That's the truth. So to overcome the world, its persistent allure, we must deal with, number one, king baby flesh. King baby flesh. I want my way. When you sense that in you, that's Mr. or Mrs. Flesh coming out. How do I deal with this? What must I do to my flesh? Well, the flesh must be crucified, put to death, moment by moment. It isn't just you kill it one time. Oh, no, that, that little bugger's coming up all the time, trying to raise up, and grab hold of you. Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Galatians 5.16, walk in the Spirit, and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Galatians 5.24, those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. By faith, we lay hold of Christ in a and and apply his power to our lives. This is what we call abiding in Christ. And when we abide in Christ, that is when we overcome victory after victory after victory. However, when we set Christ aside, we say, oh, I want to have my way with this. Oh, this bait is just too strong. I want to have, I want to do my thing for just a second. You will be overcome instead of being an overcomer. You will not be the victor then. Can I ever have victory in this life? Yes, you can, if you abide. If you abide. Overcomers are victors, not victims. It's not automatic. It is not automatic. It's a daily, moment-by-moment walk, moment-by-moment choice to abide in Christ or not to abide. You make that decision. Through the power of the Spirit of God. You can't just without God's power do this. You must have the Holy Spirit's power to to, to pull this off. So, overcoming, abiding, walking in the Spirit, how will this look in my life? Faith in Jesus, crucifying the flesh, walking in the Spirit. I'll give you some examples. You're going to have victory over the trials of life. And guess what? They come like waves of an ocean. Oh, here comes another one. Here comes another one. Over and over they come. You can have victory over the trials of life. Victory over the forces and difficulties of life. And victories over sin. We can have victory. I don't have to take the bait. Romans 6, 6 through 8 says this, For we know, now that means we know something to be definite, 
that our old self was crucified with him, died with him, so that the body of sin might be done away with, kategero, to cease completely. Cease completely. That we should no longer be slaves to sin, because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. Oh, we can have victory over sin, folks. Victory over death. Jesus said, because I live, you too may live. Remember he said said that when Lazarus dies, I'm the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. That's our promise. And then guess what? We can have victory over fear and despair. We can actually have peace while we're here. Because we're abiding in the Prince of Peace. John 14, 27, peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives, oh no. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. John 16, 33, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, thelispus, crushings. But in me you will have peace. Take heart, I've overcome the world. And then we can have victory over Satan and all the other spiritual forces. We do that by armoring up. Put your armor on. He's given you the armor. In Ephesians 6, 11 through 13, you never know when the attack is going to come. You must keep your spiritual armor on because Satan prowls around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Resist him steadfast in the faith, 1 Peter 5, 8 through 9. Oppose him. Stand against him. Put your armor on. When you go to the armor of God section in Ephesians chapter 6, you put the armor on and you take your stand. And he tells you three or four times, stand with it on, stand with it on, stand with it on. Don't be moved. It's all in defense. It's all in defense. Resist, resist, resist. Right belief, right action overcomes the world. Conclusion. Right conduct will follow right belief. We've said that over and over. It all starts with being born again. If you do not know Jesus Christ as your Savior, this is your moment. Take a pause. Examine your life. Where are you? Where have you been? Say, Jesus, I need you. The law points us. I can't do this on my own. I need you, Lord Jesus. Save me from my sins. I believe that you died on the cross in my place and took my sin debt. That's how that whole thing works. Secondly, right belief will obey God's commands. It demonstrates we truly love God and are true believers. And right belief and right action overcomes the world. Are you experiencing victory after victory? Now look, I can get a string of them. I can get a string of them, but it's never going to be perfect. Remember, it's not perfection. It's direction. You're always going to have stumbles. You're always going to have a little trip. You're always going to have a flop. Admit it. Confess it. Move on in the right direction. In the right direction. Finally, just a final moment. It's a little word from me that I have for you. We are living in a world where the culture's belief, devoid of Christ, has affected the culture's conduct, and this has bled into the church. Look what the church embraces today. Things that are the antithesis of the Word of God. The antithesis of the Word of God. And the church is looking more 
and more like the world. As the church moves away from biblical values, it embraces what the world embraces and thinks they are okay. That's what happens. Frogs in the boiling water, numbed. We are truly living out in America the abandoning of a biblical God and replaced him with a God that will give each person exactly what they want. He's your little God that you put in a pocket and you take him out when you want him and then stuff him back in when you don't want him so that you can do your thing. A God of their own making. This God is all about me, myself, and I. And we see this in the social gospel that is being promoted. Now, we should feed the poor and take care of the, hung, the, the, the hurting and the clothing and that sort of thing. But the main thing is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ to save souls. Save souls. We're, we're into the save the planet. Save the whale, save the owl, save the deer. And this all trumps saving the children. Isn't that amazing? And it has crept into the church. Global warming. Global warming. This is a big thing. Certainly, we in America are reaching a point described by Isaiah, good evil and evil good. The book of Judges ends with this statement. In those days, there was no king in Israel, and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Why? They've gotten away from the word of God. We want to do what's right in God's eyes. In God's eyes. You are the remnant. You are the few. You are the few. As we draw closer to the end, deception, we are just seeing the tip of the iceberg with this. The deception is going to ramp up more and more, and apostasy will mark the church. A falling away from the true beliefs will mark the church. It'll be a false church, just like it was in Germany when Bonhoeffer stood up against Nazi Germany. There was a true church in Germany. There's a true church in America, but it's the few. It's the few. We have a voice of hope. We have a voice of hope to a people that have been deceived. We are to encourage one another. In this milieu of apostasy, 1 Corinthians 16, 13, and 14, watch. Watch what's going on. Don't believe everything you see on the news. Don't believe everything you read in the papers. Don't believe just about anything you see on the Internet. Anybody can blog on there and blab. Be very discerning. Watch. Stand fast in the faith. Be brave and be strong. Let everything that you do be done in love. And make Philippians 1.27 your battle cry. Whatever happens, conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. We will take a stand for the master. Right belief does yield right conduct. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for this time to study your word, and I pray, the Holy Spirit, that you'll take this word and implant it in each one of our hearts. Lord, we know that it all starts with being born again. We don't have a chance. We don't have a chance of carrying this out without knowing you as our Savior. So right now, I pray, Holy Spirit, if there's somebody here that doesn't know you as their Savior, that they sense the stirring of the Spirit of God inside their being, realizing that Jesus Christ loves them, died for them, was buried, rose again from the dead. And if we believe that he did that, commit to put our trust in him and receive the gift of life that he offers to us, we can be saved and live forever. For anybody here that is not having victory after victory, that's just about all of us. Oh, may we abide in Christ. 
May we make our home in him and start seeing a string of victories in the things that heretofore caused us to stumble. Oh, let our conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Help us to represent you here with excellence, Lord. And may the world know that we belong to Jesus Christ, King of kings and Lord of lords. In Jesus' name, amen.